Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. You know that does not change no matter what. (laughs) And this month we are celebrating some very important people. We're celebrating veterans, but not only veterans, but Uh veterans who've become entrepreneurs and learning not only about their businesses, but how their military background really has helped them to succeed and what you need to know about what they're doing today. Now, my guest today is a repeat guest, and I just love him for many reasons. But not only that, he's also a part of our Shock Your Potential bookstore, and he has sponsored our podcast in the past as well. So let me tell you a little bit about him. He's an entrepreneur, a business owner. He's an author, speaker, trainer. He was a lieutenant colonel, is retired, um, and he's uh, been an Ironman all-world age group triathlete. Yes, it's Ted McLyman. And I'm like, I can't even imagine being an Ironman, but one day you never know. Okay, really, I'm never going to do that, but whatever. He's had over 30 years of award-winning experience. And what has he done with that? He's helped individuals and organizations achieve peak performance. Now, let's talk a little bit about him. Okay, he's authored three books on, now don't run away when you hear this, on the behavior around finances. I say, don't run away. He's got some things that we all need to know. He's created quick scan money temperament assessment, and he's been a technical consultant to Behind the Money, which is a program on impact television. He's also the director of behavioral finance and advisory board member at Dream Smart Academy. And I'll tell you what, that's just a few little things about him. He's going to have to tell us the rest. Ted, I love having you back with us again. Wow, I feel tired already. (laughs) (laughs) You're amazing. I just bow down to you. I'm my wife nuts. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I think she loves it. She, you know, she loves it. Oh yeah. Well, I hit the highlights though. So tell us a little bit more about you and your background, but also tell us a little bit about your military background because that's the highlight. And what I found last year when we did this is people were so grateful for a peek behind the curtains at what people who given their life to service really have done for us. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity and what you're doing. And first thing I'll say, I didn't know how important and consequential it would be to become a vet until I became one. I yeah. mean, really, it's it's one of the things you don't think about, particularly when you're 18 to 20 years old, which is usually the point of entry. You go, yeah, I'll go in, do some John Wayne stuff, travel the world, <laughs> you know, get some discounts at the exchange. But once you get there, you have an experience that is 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 life altering. And I think it's something everybody benefits from. I don't care if you're there for 30 days or 30 years, you're going to leave a better person. So in my case, I grew up in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes area, and I've got 800 words for cold, dark, snow, and miserable. Uh, <laughs> came out of Colgate University. I wanted to see the world a little bit, do some things. So I decided to join the military. And if you're going to join the military, in my very biased opinion, you become a Marine. 
Oh. Why not? <laughs> Take a challenge. Yeah, Take a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Marine Corps had the foresight to send me to Hawaii. My first duty station is a young lieutenant, and I was introduced to sunscreen, primary colors, oh. and sunglasses, and I was hooked. <laughs> Well, as a, as a, a young Marine officer, a little, a little different from the cold of the Finger Lakes. Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Let me tell you, I liked it so much. I extended there for another year, but then did a tour in Okinawa. I uh, was involved with the, as a Lieutenant, I was with 12th Marines. I was an artillery officer, um, was involved with the end of Vietnam, the evacuation, uh, Eagle Pool, Frequent Wind, which was my first really introduction to, to what we really did for, for, for the country. Uh, and then I put in a letter to get out of the Marine Corps. And guess what? I was doing such a good job. It wasn't acceptable. A lot of people don't see that when you read the small print in your contract. But I was a regular officer and they said, no, we've got plans for you. So they sent me to Okinawa. I was a commander over there. But in payback for that, I picked up my first graduate degree at Pepperdine. And my payback was to teach economics at the Naval Academy which was incredible. I loved it. It was an opportunity to work with some of the future leaders of the country, the best and the brightest. And also I was teaching classical economics and found out they were really weren't very good with money, which <laughs> led me to my career in money behavior because we got yeah. put on a task force to figure out why these lieutenants and ensigns were doing such stupid things with money and losing their commissions and the like. Yes. Uh, from there, uh, promoted a major, back to headquarters Marine Corps, worked for the financial director of the Marine Corps. I got into, on a project to build a schoolhouse for the Marine Corps from scratch, which is really, really cool, and realized I didn't know what I was doing. So picked up another degree, master's degree in performance technology, uh, <laughs> did some normal Marine Corps stuff, uh, did the battle. I was the exo of a battle assessment group in Desert Storm, came back. Uh, all hyped up, ready to go, and no parade behind me, and ended up as an aide to the Secretary of the Navy for financial management. And in that capacity, I got to work with the House and the Senate and the staffers. And there I learned absolutely that our political class does not have a clue about money. Yeah. Which again yeah. validated what I was doing. I retired wow. from there, uh, opened my uh, first financial planning practice. Uh, I had an opportunity to move to Augusta, Georgia, uh, was independent, did some very innovative things there, started realizing that my job as an entrepreneur was mm -hmm. to build my business and take care of my clients. But I also learned that I was in the business of managing behavior, not money. And that yeah. became the basis of my writing, where we are right now, and what I am currently doing. I've now moved just south of Nashville. I'm now working on the writing side full time, uh, spreading the word, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. success is about managing your behavior, not your money. So that's kind of where I am now. It was a great experience. Yeah, oh my goodness. And I love that manage your behavior, not your money. And I know you talk about that often because it really does come down to behavior. And one of the things I know we talked about last time and that we've, we've talked about, you know, in the interim is that you're absolutely right. A lot of young people, when they go into the Marine or the Marines, look, I'm just saying the Marines, they go to into any field of the military, yeah. <laughs> not just the Marines. Um, many have never, I mean, and this actually isn't just people going into the military. I mean, this many people coming out of high school have never had anything that teaches them about financial management, about oh. planning, about the importance of, you know, managing debt or building credit or, you know, all these different elements. And yet it's like we think that we're supposed to just be born with this knowledge of how to do it right. But we're not hardwired 
to do this right. And then on top of, you know, a military career where then, you know, many of them, when they're let out, then they're like, well, now what do I do? I had somebody yeah. helping define my housing, my clothing, my food, and now I have to do it. It seemed like a lot of money. There, there are a lot of landmines for all of us to deal with this. And to think that we have to manage our behavior on the top of it is it can be really overwhelming to people. Yeah. And, th and that was absolutely the catalyst for, for me getting started in this. I mean, we would do barracks or, or, you know, quarters inspections and, you know, you've got a 19 year old in there and you got two people in a room and the room is the size of a hotel room and they both have 80 inch TVs. You know, <laughs> it, it's that kind of decision-making you're kind of going, wait a minute. And they bought it on credit at star at 28% to go in their automobile that the wheels cost more than the car. I mean, it was just this kind of crazy decision-making and it was leading to performance problems, security clearance issues, yes. debt collection, you know, domestic problems. It just went on and on and on and forcing some of these, our young folks to, to get second, second, uh, you know, part-time jobs and then they deploy, they miss one pay period and they're bankrupt. I mean, it was just uh, crazy. But the other side of that is everything I saw from an institutional side, I'm going to say institutional because it's not just the Marine Corps. Right. It was reactive, not proactive. Yeah. We hold you accountable. <laughs> you know, kids sitting there, I, I can't be out of my money for a sergeant because I still have checks left. Uh, but we <laughs> never had the, we never taught them that. And then any programs we had were never dealing with the behavior. They were dealing with the mechanics, yeah. you know, how to read an LAS, a, a, your pay statement, how to write a check, how to do a budget. And nobody did that. And right. I became very obvious to me that we had to do with the behavior piece. And, and that's what I started working with. Now, the, the military is a microcosm of society. Right. Society as a whole, a financial literacy in the United States is abysmal. 15 states have some kind of requirement that you take something in school, but it's usually, again, mechanics. Right. Uh, in most cases, it's, it's very trial and error. You know, how did you learn how to do a budget? Well, I was bankrupt. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> so I had to. And that's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur and they made me to do a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement before I went to the bank. I never worried about this stuff. Or I don't worry about this stuff. I let my wife do it or fill mm -hmm. in the blank. But, but we have to understand that money is a subset of modern culture. Money is a cultural phenomenon. We're people. We're human. We're going to do human things. And I tell people all the time that our brains are designed to keep us alive and pass on our genes. It's not mm. good at doing budgets, balancing checkbooks, tax, <laughs> taxes, or actually planning much beyond next Friday. Yes. So that's who we are as humans. But I find it fascinating. And, and, and this is what I got out of the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, we are focused on people and behavior and outcomes. Our job as a leader in the Marine Corps is to identify what you're good at, to enforce that. And if, you're, if you've got a shortfall, either we train it or we, we compensate. We call it task organized. Right. Okay. So it hit me that leadership is personal leadership. Money's a component of that. But we talk about behavior and consequences and accountability and coaching and almost everything else in our life. You can get a diet coach, you can get a wellness coach, you can get a speaking coach, you can get a running coach, a triathlon coach, but nobody ever talks about a money coach. 
And if yeah. they do get a money coach, they don't talk about behavior. They talk about, hey, we're going to get the next shiny thing. How do I do this better? How do I do this? But the question I always ask myself is, how do you know if you're hardwired to do the things they're expecting you to do? In other words, your natural behavior is probably making you broke. Right. Right. Well, and one of the things, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, I mean, when I work with my fitness coach, I'm very happy to talk to people about I'm working with a fitness coach. Hey, and she's really pushing me. She's teaching me new things that I wasn't doing. But most people, if they were actually working with a money coach, would not talk about it because people are afraid. If I say I'm working with a money coach, someone's going to say, oh, you have a problem with money. Nobody okay. says, oh, you have a problem with your butt out of bed to go run. That's why you need the fitness coach, because I'm fine saying that. <laughs> yeah. Or the other side of the coin, it's only wealthy people have, have money coaches. Well, yeah. that's a mindset thing. There's a money mindset and a wealth mindset. A money mindset mm -hmm. is a spend. A wealth set is build equity, pass it on and, and create true wealth. That's a yes. cultural thing. Um, most Americans don't grow up, grow up around areas where, where wealth and money is a common discussion. It's not introduced any place. So usually it's a smack in the side of the head type thing. You get your yeah. first paycheck and you realize that a third of your money is going to stuff that you didn't sign up for. You didn't think taxes, social security, Medicare, Medicaid, this, that, and the other thing. And yeah. you go, Oh my Lord, what happened? Well, that's the way we usually teach money. And I mean, think about it right now. You can buy a car. I think the farthest I've seen out now on, on 82 months, you can get a, you can oh finance a vehicle. That's nuts. But That's our time heads to buy are, a new vehicle. Oh yeah. But our, but our, our minds are not able to do that. I mean, our minds are lazy and hopped up on drugs. The drugs are called, the main drug is dopamine. Dopamine is the feel good drug that makes you feel good anticipation. And it means that when you're online building that car, dopamine's flowing and you can smell it and you see yourself driving it and the cost is irrelevant. Well, right. you buy the car, you drive through the neighborhood at five miles an hour for two weeks and a year later, it's got dents, it's a problem, you're over it. The dopamine yeah. is gone. But that's because we're human. We do human stuff with money. And, and I learned in the Marine Corps as a vet that I was in the business of managing behavior, my own behavior as a professional, but also the behavior and the outcomes of my people. Now, one of the things I think is important to understand, because we're talking about veteran entrepreneurs, is, is how did that happen? Well, I think, particularly in the Marine Corps, with the Marine Corps culture, I was an entrepreneur as a second lieutenant. And a lot of people find that, they go, how did that happen? You, know, you guys are lockstep, you can't do anything. No, not at all. Not at all. In the modern military, you are trained, and it's unique to the United States, to be resourceful, innovative, resilient, mm -hmm. to get the job done. It's accomplish the mission, take care of your troops, leaders eat last. That's the mantra of the modern military. And you're encouraged to think of all the scenarios, to put together plans and alternatives and, and the like. So I found the transition to entrepreneurship not that difficult in the sense that I'd been doing this for years. I was always in a position that if I'm going to have a career in the military, I'm going to manage it myself. I'm going to do the things I want to do. That's entrepreneurial. I want to get education. 
I want to do other things like that. See, as an artillery officer, you've got to realize that the skill set once you retire is clearing snow cornices in the Rockies or starting marathons. I wanted to be a little bit more engaged in that. So <laughs> I, I had to figure out that, and it hit me real early, everybody gets out of the military. Mm-hmm. You either walk out, you're thrown out, or you're carried out. Right. But it is a finite program. So the question I asked is, as an entrepreneur, why don't you look at it as an entrepreneurial experience and let them train you to give you skill sets to do things, which means managing your career. You are accountable and responsible for the outcome everywhere to include the military. And most people don't think about that. So as a result, I had the opportunity to do do all kinds of incredible things because I sat there and raised my hand. I said, I'll do that. I'll give it a shot. Why not? What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to send me back to Okinawa? Well, been there a couple of times. I can handle that. So once I got to the point, and, and it was ironic, particularly up in Washington, uh, the comment I got from most of the staffers and people that don't have military backgrounds, they look at me and go, I can't believe you're in the Marine Corps. I go, well, what do you think we do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> my gosh, yeah, I can read and write. I've got the full box of crayons, so, you know, we can do that. So <laughs> it, it was really fascinating. But as soon as I hit the ground, I looked around, and, and I took my entrepreneurial experience as a mission, as the planning was pretty much the same. You know, what is the objective? What am I good at? What are my capabilities? What are my limitations? What resources are available to me? How do I build my team for task organizations? Because as an entrepreneur, there are things that have to happen and you have to decide, am I good at this? Yes or no. Uh, can And if I am, I'll go do it. If I'm not, I better figure out, I've either got to put my helmet on and do it for a little while until I can outsource this or delegate it. So it's, it, or make it simple, the three do's, you either do it, delegate it, or don't do it. Yeah. You know, do it means it's got to get done. You may not like doing your taxes, but if you don't you're, do yeah. your taxes as an entrepreneur, by the third or fourth year, somebody's going to knock on your door and want to know, hey, we're missing a couple of notes from you. We'd like to get that fixed. You know, yeah. nice guy. Thanks for your service, but it doesn't matter. Okay. Right. So you've got to figure out how to do that. Delegation means as an entrepreneur, and we did this in the military, you focus, laser focus on what you're good at. You become an expert, a professional, and then you build your team around you to compensate. Let me use a sniper team as an example. That's a very, very unique skill. Very people do that. But a sniper by alone is ineffective. It's the team around that sniper with the spotter, the support team, the people, the logistics and all that. So in the military, you learned the team concept. People have this crazy notion that an entrepreneur is this crazy pioneer out by themselves chasing shiny objects and making a lot of money doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a couple of those, but most of them aren't. Right, exactly. A successful entrepreneur has a plan. Yes. And, and and if you've got a military background, all you've got to do is think of the planning cycle you went through for your first deployment. It's pretty much the same thing you do to start a business. Yeah. You know, take an inventory, take a look. What are you going to do? What's the mission? What am I really going to do for a living? What's my market? How am I going to get there? What's it going to cost? How am I going to support it? Who's my team? Who's my stakeholders? What success look like? I call it the three P's, people, process, and performance. People, mm-hmm. capable, 
Am I capable of doing this? Do I have the qualifications? Do I have the skills and knowledge? Am I, do I have the attitude and motivation? If that doesn't hit, move on, then process. And then what does success look like? So as an entrepreneur, I lead it right back to just being a freaking lieutenant. And, and it started there. And, and here's a, here's a, you know, when I was at, um, uh, at Quantico, we worked with, uh, folks at the command and staff college. And we used to bring in traders from the commodity exchange in Chicago to interact with our battalion level commanders, because we found the same thought process of executing trades under uncertainty and stress was the same at the mercantile exchange as it was in combat. Yeah. So a lot of the skills are there. Yeah. It's just you got to put them differently. I agree. I, and I love that. I, I mean, as you were talking, I was taking notes, as you know, I do. And I think that's so important to recognize that, that, yeah, just because you're in the military doesn't mean that you're always following orders. Depending on where you are, you have to create every potential scenario. But just like everyone in the command knows who is next in command, in case you have to be the next one to take command, at some point in time, you may have to make those decisions. And it's, you know, I call it, uh, you know, um, looking for the multiple points of failure. You know, if I've got something new coming on, what's everything that po can possibly yeah. go wrong? That's realistic, you know, not not crazy things, but what's realistically possibly going to go wrong so I can anticipate what I would do in those things. And then when I have that done, then I say, OK, how can we make this go right? So I, I love it. Well, Ted, we're going to take a quick break here. Okay. Um, we're going to hear from our sponsor for the month, which... Uh, you never know, it could possibly be you. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> and we are going to be right back. Imagine starting a long journey without a map or even a clear idea of the obstacles ahead. That's exactly what it's like for entrepreneurs who start companies with a lot of passion, but without the financial expertise to grow and scale their businesses and create long-term wealth for their families. Find a financial advisor who can help you map a better journey. Wayne Titus shows you how in his book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being. With the right advisor at your side, you'll have the freedom to focus on what really matters to you. Get The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being at Amazon.com and in the virtual bookstore on the Shock Your Potential app. And we are back with Ted McLyman and talking about not only, you know, what you do, but, but how your military career, I love the fact that when I say, you know, how it helped you to become an entrepreneur, I actually think it's a great lesson for us all to look at all of our backgrounds and realize what elements of those do help us and support us, no matter whether we're entrepreneurs or we're working for somebody else. But, you know, especially in the military, you are you are given opportunities to be creative. You are, you know, given uh, an expectation to help find solutions. And that's really what it's all about. So I know you, um, I know you help people. You are a financial coach, you know, you're this money coach with people, but I also know you do a lot of things with schools. You're trying to get people motivated to look at, you know, their money behavior from all stages of life. Tell us a little bit more specifically about what you do today and, and how these things really help your clients to shock their potential. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, at this point in my career, it's a culmination of years of experience that have come to the nexus now that I'm in the business of helping people who get it get more. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I help them understand their natural behavior and the subset of that, their behavior with money. 
Why? Because behavior is unique to you. We're not this one size fits all cookie cutter type people. And, and a lot of the systems that are out there either don't address natural behavior and often run away from money. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing now, I dropped all my licenses, sold my practice, and I'm working full time as an author and as a speaker and a coach trying to change the dialogue about money. In our culture, Western civil, um, civilization, particularly the United States, we look at money as an independent entity. It's just there. And it, we, it, but it's the oil that makes our economy go. It's it's the fuel of society. It is a cu cultural construct. Think about it. money is a cultural invention. Our brain biology is about 3 million years old. Money is about 2,500 years old. And the modern economy, I'll say, is about 18 months old, pre-COVID, post-COVID. Okay. Today's economy mm -hmm. is different than it was two years ago. Our brains are wired to do things very differently than society wants them to do. So our, our biology gets in the way. Our feeling brain, I call it, our thinking brain. Our feeling brain keeps us alive, keeps the heart going. It's fun. It's automatic. It's emotional. It doesn't, it thinks very quick. It doesn't like doing numbers. It's the fun place. And that's where we want to spend most of our time. But modern society demands some accountability, and that's our thinking brain thing where we've got to go back and actually do things that are uncomfortable, and that's usually money stuff. So mm -hmm. we kind of push money over to the side. It's kind of a given. It's there. I like it. I want to use it. And we say, well, if you're going to manage it, you got to learn how to do it very analytically and linearly and rationally, and your man goes, no, we're not. Yeah. So for most people, the default is do nothing, which is not a good answer. So what I am trying to do right now is, is, is launch a movement, the best way I can describe it, clandestine, that I want a, a, a group of motivated people that are fed up with business as usual in the financial industry, which is one size fits all, rational, product-driven, chase the shiny, my stuff is better than your stuff. Why? Right. Because I have a better brochure attitude. <laughs> <laughs> when in reality, it should be, what's important about money to you? What are your values? And what I mean by that, it's not stuff. It's not, it's, it's, it's at the end of your life and you look around, what is important? And it's usually legacy, family, giving, making a difference. It's not my car was bigger than your car. Right. So what are your true values? And then what's it going to cost? Now, here's a, here's a pro tip. If you want to know what your values are, take a look at your calendar. Mm -hmm. And your bank statement. And I'll tell you right now what your values are. Now, I'm not judging. As long as it's legal, moral, and you're comfortable with it, that's okay. So that's mm -hmm. if you want to learn how to play golf around the country and hit every major golf course, and that's your life's ambition, that's your number one value, fine. We can show you how to do that. But if you say, no, I want to have a monument to something or a hospital or whatever, you better can make some choices because you're probably going to not make both. But in our society... Generally, because of social media, we're fixated on the things and you really drill down. The values are often very different and it's called cognitive dissonance. It means if yes. there's a conflict there, it's because you're watching Instagram, you're there looking at all this crazy stuff they're posting and you decided you needed a 145 foot yacht with a helicopter on the back. Of course. Why not? <laughs> That's what I'm Everybody working for. Can do it. All I've got to do is write a sticky note put it on my mirror and said, I can have one. Well, it's not that easy. 
And so what are your values? But then the next thing you've got to look at is, is your money temperament. Money temperament is just how you're naturally wired. You know for a fact that not everybody looks at money and acts and believes and behaves the way you do. You've got a unique spending pattern. It's a function of where you grew up, your belief set, but it's also your culture. Culture yeah. is an incredible driver in our, in our money perspective. Another insight, reality TV put stainless steel appliances in your kitchen. Okay. Oh. Before reality TV, you were happy with your grandmother's avocado kitchen set. Okay. It worked fine. You know, and you were going to upgrade to copper. Okay. Great. Oh my gosh. Well, you start watching reality TV and some beautiful family on the West coast, generally California mm -hmm. buys this derelict house. And in 30 minutes renovates it, makes a hundred thousand dollars and the walkthrough, you look at the kitchen and what's it got? It's stainless steel appliances and a exactly. granite counter. Oh my God. Well, that's what I have upstairs in my kitchen. You got it. You can't sell a house without it. That's being human with money. That's our feeling brain going, I want one. Why? I don't know. Yeah. But, but that's true. Yeah. So we've got to understand that it is so difficult today. Think for a second back to your parents, grandparents for sure. It was a very mm -hmm. different environment. They probably grew up in a post-World War economy. They probably worked in the same place for years, had a pension. Everybody lived within walking distance, house paid for, life insurance and a savings account. Life was good. Okay, yep. now it's very, very different. And, and the cultural influences on our brain are putting us into a spending state that we've never had to deal with before. The social media is 24-7. And, 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 and our feeling brain, our primitive brain sucks this stuff in. And our brain has trouble differentiating between reality and whatever. Right, so that's exactly. So I am trying to get people to understand that we need to start moving to a behavioral approach to money. Behavioral financial wellness means you understand what makes you tick with money, how you're naturally wired, and you work for a one-size-fits-you approach as opposed to a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think it's really important that people recognize, you know, I, I, I remember being very you know, young and poor. So when, you know, my son was first born and his father and I um, were trying to make it and, you know, we both got our first jobs out of college. And, and I remember, you know, driving by people's houses, you know, we lived in this terrible, oh, crappy, scary little one bedroom apartment. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was horrible. It wasn't like the house I grew up in, you know, and I remember driving by people's big brand new houses at the holidays and feeling very sorry for myself right. because mm -hmm. I did not have that. And, you know, you think at that time, you know, buying a lottery ticket, because then that will be the answer. You know, at that time, the lottery, you know, it was a big one if it got to a hundred million, you know, now they yeah, started yeah, yeah. hundred million. And I remember thinking, if only I had that, I would be happy. And it took me a, a lot of decades past that time to realize that that's not the happiness, but we didn't even have reality TV then. And we didn't have <laughs> social media then. I cannot even imagine being bombarded with this before I was 25 years old. I mean, this is a lot, this oh, is yeah. a huge change in our culture that's going to have some long-term, you know, even more devastating uh, effects than me just feeling sorry for myself at 25, you know, when we didn't have that stuff. 
Oh yeah, most of us formulate our uh, pretty much have a, a a mindset on money well formulated by middle school, and mm. I can't imagine the pressure of not being in school for a year, not being on social money, uh, media, mm -hmm. trying to figure out what you're going to wear for the first day of school and make sure yeah. it is acceptable. Oh, white yeah. group, white stuff, white label, what blah 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 blah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, you got a pair of jeans when I got cold. You cut them off in the in the summer for shorts, and you went swimming in them. Repeat, okay? It's not that complicated, and 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 now it's 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 very very difficult. Um, not only for the kids, but the parents and and all Absolutely. the stakeholders. Now, I find it very inter interesting. Levi Strauss is now running a, a set of ads that are saying "buy less, but buy better." Oh, that is a fundamental shift. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing. The other thing you have to understand is the marketers get it. Most marketers are well into neuroscience and why we do yeah. things. I mean, if you go Absolutely. to a, an upscale mall and it says gallery on it, I mean, right there, you know, add 10%, everything across the board and why, and you know, <laughs> if you go to a store that has a, has a ballet and you're oh, surprised yeah. that everything costs over 150 bucks for a shirt. I mean, yeah. Duh. Yeah. You're in the wrong place. I know. So we have to, we have to, and, and, and as veterans, I think we have a real advantage in the sense that we were generally thrown into a pool of very diverse folks from mm -hmm. all over the United States, maybe the world from different social economic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, cultures, and we made it work. Yes. And then if you were fortunate enough to travel a little bit, you got to, to experience different cultures and their approach to money and values. And it's very sobering to walk into some places and they got nothing and they think they're doing fairly well. Yep. Okay. There's a value point. Or you go into some other cultures and on the one hand, it's it's all top shelf stuff. And across the street, it's a you know 13th century bazaar. Yeah. But the commonality is we're all human. The humanity of it is human. We are humans. We do human things. I have found with my research and what I write about that, that the human aspect of money and our relationship with money behavior transcends all of this. Then you factor your belief set on top of that, which is a function of where you grew up. Culture is the biggest driver. And then the last piece is technology or the economy is changing at warp speed. In a lot of cases, you're just running to keep up. Yeah. So it's yeah. an interesting time, but it's also the best time in the world to be an entrepreneur. I agree. I agree. And it's a great time to to remember that our behaviors um, impact, you know, so much of what we do and we are in control of them, whether or not we want to think we are or not. Ted, and I know we can talk forever because obviously we, we just can't ever stop because there's so much fun to say. I know we're going to have all your contact information on our show notes, including right. the links to your books. But uh, in case somebody wants to look you up right now, what's the best way for them to find you? Uh, TedMcClyman.com. It's, uh, it's easy. T-E-D-M-C-L-Y-M-A-N. And then the dot com at the end, you'll, you'll figure it out. But that'll take you to my author site. you learn more about me, uh, information on my latest book, some of the things I'm doing. But I'm serious about getting like-minded people that want to change this. We've got to do something to get people understanding that, that the current approach to happiness money, I think is a little bent. It should be value-based and it should align with how you think and feel about money. Join me. 
we're changing I the world. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, and I, that might be part of it, but mm -hmm. do you have any other, before we go, do you have any other last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Well, for the veterans out there, you've got to step out. You stepped out, took a risk to join the military, and obviously it worked out. It's the same thing with being an entrepreneur. Use the skill set that we're given. You have something that is unique. And, and it's ironic, if you sit down and do a search, most of the successful senior people in the United States, CEOs and whatever, have a military background. There's not, there's a very strong reason for that. And you can be an entrepreneur within an organization. You can start small. The point is take an assessment of who you are, take a behavioral inventory, a skill inventory, capabilities and limitations, find out what you're good at, get really good at, step out. Love it. Great advice for all of us. Ted, as always, such a pleasure to have you with us. I am so thankful to have you yet again as a guest with us. Thank you so much. This is great fun. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.